I discovered early on when I was dating my wife that I could either marry Brooklyn or continue to be on time places. But both of those things were not possible. All of the major fights in our relationship can boil down pretty much to this fact that I despise, I despise being late. And Brooke's just one of these people that you'll tell her, all right, it takes an hour to get there and the reservation's at six, so we'll need to leave at five. And she'll look at you and be like, okay, so 5.15, we're good to go. And it's like, no, no, we're, we're not. We need to leave at five. So I've started just adding time to everything, but sometimes she catches on to that. And so after you've been somewhere once or twice, it doesn't work as well. Uh, so I started adding time. But she'll frequently say to me, well, I'm not as bad as your sister, which is kind of like somebody saying Joseph Stalin wasn't as bad as Hitler. Now, I'm not calling my wife Joseph Stalin or my sister Hitler, but I'm just saying just because you may not be the absolute worst at something doesn't mean that it's okay. And a year ago, we all went to Disney. The four of us and our family, my sister and her husband and, and their four children, and my parents. And all of us went to, went to Disney at, at the same time, and one night we had a dinner reservation at the same restaurant. And I was the guy that had to round up the kids and be like, hey, we, we got to get out of the pool. We've got to get ready. We've got to get on the transportation. We've got to go to the park and get in so that we can be there in time for our dinner reservation. And they search you now like you're visiting the White House when you go to Disney. I mean, metal detectors and wands and, and you name it. And you can imagine how much fun that is if you haven't been to Disney lately when the, the family of 12 and, and all 10 kids are in strollers still somehow is in front of you in that security line. And you're just like looking. And I always pick the worst line because one time 15 years ago, I prayed for patience and it was a really foolish prayer, but I prayed for patience, and God answered that prayer in ways I never imagined he would. And so I'm rounding up the family like, we've got to go because they'll only hold the reservation for 15 minutes, and the dinner reservation was at 6, and if you try to get 12 people into a restaurant at Disney without a reservation, well you would need the favor of the Lord and able to accomplish that. And so we leave. And I, I, I knock on my sister's room, and she's still doing her hair. And I'm like, we've got to go. And she's like, we'll be fine. And I'm like, fine. It takes 20 minutes to get there, and dinner's in, the reservation's in 15. We've got to go now. And she's like, we'll be fine. So we start the voyage and the transportation. And we get outside the park. And one of, the, one of the security things is taking longer than we anticipated because they only had three of the gates open. And we're just stuck in this line. And I call them and I'm like, hey, where are you? I didn't see you behind us. They're like, oh, we're just leaving the hotel. And I'm like, well, you're just, li- what do you mean you're just leaving the hotel? And then I go into warp speed because I'm now the person who has to get to the restaurant in order to secure the reservation because Heather had to do her hair. Wonderful. So we get into the park, and I start like 
I start running between people, and I'm dragging one of the kids behind me, and they're like, they're like, well, you can barely keep up. And I'm like, your legs are going to have to get stronger one day. Today's as good as any day to make that happen. And Brooke's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm getting the reservation. And she's like, you need to relax a little bit. And I'm like, I am hangry, and I need to eat. So the only way that's going to be possible is if we make that reservation. And she's like, you can't control when other people get here. I would love to tell you that I slowed down and realized that she was right. That I just walked and decided we're on vacation. Everything will be great. I didn't. I made it to the restaurant I said, I'm here for the reservation. They're like, is everyone in your party with you? And I said, nope, and I don't care about the other eight. The four of us are here, and if you can seat us, that would be great, because I was hangry. And they're like, well, we'll give them a few more time, a few more minutes. And so 30 minutes later, they finally arrived, and they sat us in different segments and different groups you know what's interesting? As my wife was right, I couldn't control when other people got there. I can't control what they do. Last week we saw that the church in Thessalonica had a lot of questions. They wondered what was going on in their world. They wondered what was going on in their lives. They wondered why, if they were following God, that, that God would allow some of the things to happen to them that were happening to them. And then we saw that in the answer to that question in his letter, the Apostle Paul wrote about living life. And he wrote about the process of death. But he also wrote about the hope that we have in Jesus being greater than death and in Jesus' ultimate return. But as a result of that hope, they asked a lot of questions. And we're going to continue that theme today as we continue our look. Today's the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and then we'll be looking at uh, 2 Thessalonians over the course of the next few weeks. But we read these words in 1 Thessalonians 5, and if you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us on the Bible app where we read these words in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The coming of Jesus is unexpected, and you won't know. It's unexpected, and you won't know. Stop worrying about what you can't control. This is up to God. You, you stop worrying about what you can't control. You aren't going to know. So anytime, anytime you see somebody say, well, I know when Jesus is coming back. No, you, no, he doesn't. No, she doesn't. They don't know. They might be trying to sell you a book, but they don't know. They don't know. And, and, and then he continues, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. And now here we see this element of this idea 
of the day of the Lord that's used all throughout the Old Testament and prophecy, and it's never done in an in a, in a celebratory or anticipatory way. It's always talking about the judgment that God's going to bring about. And it says one day people will be living in a false sense of security. They'll think everything is fine. They'll let their guard down. And then suddenly the narrative of society will drastically change, and it will change drastically and quickly, and you will see all of the horrible things that, that this world can bring about, brought about on display, and all of that, all of that will, be, will be on display for, for you to see. He says, but as followers of Jesus, you don't need to worry about that. You don't have to worry about it as people who follow Jesus. And then, then he, he, changes, he changes the entire, just the entire idea of, of what he's talking about in verse 5 when he says this, for you are all children of light. Children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. And essentially what he does is he uses this as a transition. And he says, we've talked about the fact that we're all going to die, and we've talked about the fact that we have hope because Jesus is going to return. And none of us have all the answers for how Jesus is going to return and what that's going to look like. And Scripture gives us glimpses to that, and they're not always easy to understand. But Scripture gives us glimpses of that, but it doesn't spell out the whole picture for us. And if God wanted us to understand all that, he would have spelled out the whole picture for us to easily understand. But God in his providence has chosen not to do that. And he says, but stop worrying about it. Stop worrying about it. Control what you can control. Control what you can control. There are a lot of things that you can control. You can't control when Jesus is coming back. You can't control what's going to happen to the world. You can't control those things, but you worry and you focus about what you can control. And so the first four verses of chapter 5, you have no control over. You have no control over that. You don't get to make up the mind of Jesus. You don't get to determine the plans of God. You can't control any of that. But let's, let's discuss what we can control. And that's what he does for the remainder of this chapter in 1 Thessalonians 5. And he goes on and he writes this. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Now he's doing some wordplay, because as we saw last week, this idea of sleep is also this connotation of death. Now he's not talking about, he's not talking about death in this context. I mean, if he were, he'd be saying, so don't die like other people do. Don't die. No, he's not saying that. But he's using a parallel, and he's drawing a picture that he used before to talk about those who are physically dead. And now he's talking about those who live life as though they are dead. And remember this whole idea that Scripture gives us, that the moment we give our lives over to Jesus, the moment that we follow him, we become a new creation, that we have made the greatest transformation that is possible. We've crossed over from death, and we have experienced life. And so this idea is not don't physically die as though that's something any of us could choose or have control over. It is not. But it's this idea of people who are living as though they are dead. 
And then he draws this distinction between people of light and people of darkness, between people who live alive because they have a relationship with Jesus and those who live lives dead, many times not even knowing that they're living as zombies, that they, that they are dead. And, and where he starts is let's not, let's, let's have a distinction and let's make sure that our lives look differently. And one of the areas that he talks about, that he introduces here, is let's make sure that we don't overindulge on, on alcohol. Let's make sure that we don't overindulge on alcohol because we're hopeless. We don't have to turn to, to the abuse of alcohol as a coping mechanism. Our hope doesn't need to be found in numbing our pain. He's not saying don't, don't use alcohol at all, but what he's saying is don't overindulge on alcohol and, and find your hope by dulling all of your pain and just living life being hopeless as those, as those who live in the dark, as those who live lives as though they're dead do. So he draws this distinction as people who live in the light, as people who are alive in Jesus, you don't have to find your coping mechanisms and the overindulgence of alcohol. He uses alcohol here, but it's anything. It's anything. We don't have to overindulge in any substance or abuse anything to find a source of hope because we're hopeless as people who live in the light and as people who are alive as a result of a relationship with Jesus. And he says, this is one of the distinctions that needs to be in your life, that you aren't overindulging on things, trying to numb the pain, that you aren't living lives as though they're hopeless but you are indeed living differently. And here's why. Well, he tells us in verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Because we are people of light, because we are people who live alive, because we've had an encounter with Jesus, and he has saved us, and he has transformed us, Let's make sure that we live our lives soberly, and let's make sure that we are people who are full of resolve because of the security that we have, because of the security we have in our faith, in our love, and in the hope of our salvation. In our faith, in our love, and in the hope of our salvation. Let's make sure these are the things that we cling to when our world is upside down, when things aren't going our way, when, when it does seem like everything's hopeless, when we don't know where to turn, rather than reaching for any other substance, rather than overindulging on anything else, let's make sure that we are steadfast and we are resolved to be people who are full of faith, of love, and of hope in our salvation. And let those be the things that define us in this time of uncertainty when there are so many things that we cannot control. There are so many things we simply do not know. Let us do our best to replace the angst and the anguish that, that's weighing on all of us to some degree or another. And let's make sure that we safeguard our lives and really ask the question, have I coped well? Have I coped well? Have I handled all of these adjustments well? 
Or are there, are there areas in my life that I've used as a coping mechanism that came along innocently enough at first, but have now come along and I have a growing dependency upon these things and rather than they be my relationship with Jesus and rather they be faith, hope, and love, rather than they be these things, instead I'm coping by these things and it's growing and it's becoming more and more, and that's where the danger starts. That's where the danger starts. When the glass or two of wine becomes the bottle just to help us sleep at night, that's, that's where the trouble is. And so we need to all be, be looking at our lives and making sure that what we have chosen to cope has been our faith, our love, and our hope. And our salvation. And as crazy as this world is, with all the uncertainties that this year especially has thrown our way, that our safety and our security isn't, isn't arrived at by our stability. Because that can be gone in an instant, but is instead arrived at by the faith that we have in Jesus by the love that we display to all we encounter and the hope of our salvation, that whatever this world throws our way is not the end. And however horrible it may be, it doesn't get to ultimately define us. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And he just reminds them, he says, our hope is Jesus. That's our hope. Our hope is Jesus. And as a result of Jesus being our hope, as a result of us living even in the midst of very trying times, even in the midst of uncertainty, even when nobody knows, living in the midst of all of those things, we still have hope and our hope is Jesus and our response to that hope is to encourage one another with that hope. Now, why do we need to encourage one another with this? Because life is really hard, and the challenges we face beat us up. If life was easy, we wouldn't need the encouragement. Be like, yeah, life's great. It's awesome. Things are perfect. But when life gets hard, those are the times especially that we need the encouragement. And this is a reminder to us that life is going to be really, really hard sometimes. And it's in those times that we need the encouragement all the more. We need to constantly be encouraging one another because we don't know. We don't know everything you're going through. We don't. Even, even the most open book, even the person who is the most open about their struggles and everything that's going on in their lives still has, still has parts of themselves that they do not share. So we don't know. We don't know everything that's going on in your world. But we need to be reminded that at some point, there's going to be hardship. 
At some point, you're going to experience some really hard things. And if it's not been this year for you, if somehow 2020 has been a phenomenal year for you, I mean, buckle up. 2021's coming. And then 2022. And then 2023. And I think for most of us, at some point in the next few years, hopefully, we'll be able to take a deep breath and be like, ah, this feels a little bit back to normal. A little bit. But, I mean, just buckle up because then there will be something new. And there'll be another virus. I mean, hopefully not another pandemic. There'll be another virus or something else on our bodies will break down or there'll be another reason that there's unemployment. I mean, you're not going to escape it. That's part of living. And so the reminder must be that we are people who have hope. And our hope is not in the security that we find in this world. Our hope is in our salvation, which is given to us through a relationship with Jesus. And as a result of that, we encourage one another, not with a false sense of positivity, not with a false sense that everything's great and nothing's going wrong in my world, but with the reminder, the true reminder that Jesus has got us and we have hope as a result of that. And so if you feel discouraged, I just want to encourage you, take heart. Take heart. Your life is tough, and it's going to be tough. And you, maybe you haven't been treated fairly. Maybe you got a raw deal. And there are going to be times where you're not treated fairly. And there are going to be times when all of us get a raw deal. But don't allow that to creep into your heart and into your life and allow you to live a life of discouragement. Because you must remember, as a follower of Jesus, your hope is not in this world. Your hope is in the promise that we have. And that is ultimately one day us being restored with our Creator and living forever with Him where He has promised to restore everything to perfection. But we aren't there yet. We're a long way off. But stop living lives that are defeated. And I get it. Life's difficult. But just because life's difficult doesn't mean that you have to live defeated. Because the one who saved you has overcome. And he is greater than anything anything you will face. And if you live a life of defeat and discouragement, instead of being guarded with the armor of faith, of love, and of hope, then you have robbed yourself of the existence that God wants you to have as his child. Don't let the enemy win. Now, I just, I just want to be crystal clear that there, there are some people whose, whose minds don't process information like everybody else. There are some people whose minds process more chemicals than other chemicals. And, and I'm not talking here if you suffer from clinical depression telling you that, that that's just a spiritual issue and you just need to have more faith, hope, and love. I'm not, I'm not telling you that. Our minds, like any other part of our bodies, can become sick. And there's no shame in getting help when that happens. 
And, and so I want, I want those of you who struggle with this to hear me very clearly. I'm not saying it's strictly a spiritual issue because very much that, that can be a physical issue as well. And that doesn't mean that you just need to pray more any of those things. God has given us incredible breakthroughs in, in medicine and everything else. But what I am telling you is make sure you address the spiritual condition as well as the physical condition. He goes on and he says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So you all better respect and love me, all right? That's what that says. Uh, <laughs> but he says, he, says, he says, respect and love those who walk beside you. Respect and love those who come beside you and help you in your spiritual journey. And understand, there's going to be times that people who help you in your spiritual journey tell you things that you probably don't want to hear. And it's not because they're jerks. I mean, maybe they're jerks, but they're not trying to be jerks. But they do that because they love you. And we all have areas we need to grow. We all have things about us that we need to change to become more like Jesus. And so just, just respect and love people who are willing to get in the trenches with you, who are willing to walk alongside you. Respect and love those people that mentor you. Respect and, respect and love them. Ask for their input and, and just be, be thankful for them. And I just encourage you to you know, at some point today, whether it's a parent or whether, whether it's a friend, whoever it may be, whether it's a small group leader, whoever it may be, just take, just take some time and just, just thank somebody who's, who's been in your life, whether, whether it's a, a parent or a pastor or a friend, whoever that's been, just somebody who's poured into you. And just, just tell them thanks, um, because it says, respect and love those who help you in your spiritual journey. And, he, and then he goes on and he writes, but be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. He says, live lives where you live at peace with people. You live at peace with people. But notice, notice what he does. He says to treat people differently. Did you notice that? He does. He says, treat people differently. Now, this flies in the face. This flies in the face of, of every, like, every first grade teacher that wants everybody to, everybody to be treated equally and fairly. He says, treat people differently. Treat them differently. He says, if they're lazy, admonish them. Chew them out. If they're lazy, get on their case. Like, get on them. If they've given up hope, though, encourage them. And some people may seem lazy on the surface, but truthfully, they've just been beaten down. And people who don't know their story think, oh, they're just, they're just lazy. They don't want to do anything. When the reality is, they've been hurt. And they've been cut very deep because somebody's violated their trust or somebody's repeatedly taken advantage of them. And they, they've arrived at the point where they just, they've given up. And for the person who's given up, he says, don't chew them out. Don't admonish them. They don't, they don't need a coach. They need a hug. It says, for, for the person who's lazy, you admonish them. But for the person who's given up hope, you encourage them. You come alongside them. You give them a hug. You tell them that you're proud. You 
build that person back up. For the person who's faint-hearted, for the person who can't do it, you help them. You get in the trenches with them. You walk alongside of them every step of the journey. But here is the universal theme. Here is the universal theme. But with all of them, be patient. So with the lazy person who drives you nuts, who needs to be motivated, you still have to be patient with them. For the person who's just been beaten down and, and, and given up, and they've given up hope, and they've got a little bit of an Eeyore complex, and you, you've got to encourage them, but you still have to be patient with them. And for the person who's just tired and weak, you get in the trenches and you help them every step of the way. But you have to be patient with them. Be patient with everyone. And then see to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil. There, there are people who are going to do you wrong. There are going to be people in this world who do you wrong. And the challenge is, don't repay them evil for evil. Don't do to them as they've done to you. Don't treat others the way they treat you. Treat them the way God's called us to treat them. The way that you would like to be treated. And this is incredibly challenging, and we all know it. But this is what God has called us to do. And this is, again, the things that we can control in our lives. These are the things that we can control in our lives. And so he says, treat others the way that you'd, you'd want to be treated. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but instead, do good to everyone. Do good to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, these are things what we should always do. We should always rejoice. In the, even in the midst of a pandemic where you can't see people and everything's shut down, you can't find a restaurant to eat at when you want to go eat, rejoice. Rejoice. You can't go to your favorite store, rejoice. You got to wear a face mask everywhere, rejoice. Pray. Pray without ceasing and give thanks. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Do this always. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Stay in tune with God's leading. Stay in tune with God's leading in your life. Don't quench it because you wish to pursue whatever you desire. But stay in tune with what God has for you. And some, some are living a life where God isn't even evident in your life. And you feel distant from God. And the reason you feel distant from God and God isn't evident in your life is because you've quenched God's spirit. You, you've had the impression of the truth on your heart. God has impressed upon you what you should do. And you just decide, I'm going to do whatever feels right. I'm just going to follow my own passions and I'm going to pursue whatever I want to pursue instead. And now you wonder, God, where are you and why do you feel so distant from me? Because you've quenched the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean that God's taken your salvation away, but it means you've quenched the Spirit of God in your life. 
and you haven't listened to his prompting, and you haven't listened to his leading, and you've done whatever you've desired, and now you wonder, but God, where are you, and why aren't you blessing me, and, and why do you feel so distant? He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Listen to God. And he says, this is how you prevent that from occurring. First, that you're engaged with Scripture. That you're engaging with Scripture. The, the next step is to test all of your thoughts and all of your desires within the lens of Scripture. Test them all. Because not everything we want, not everything that feels right on the surface is right. And not everything we want is good. And so it says you need to test it. You need to test every thought. You need to test every desire. And then the third step is abstain from evil. Know the truth. Test yourself. Test certainly everything else you hear. And then abstain from evil. And this is, this is the life that God's called us to. And then he writes this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. After this, there are just a couple more closing verses that we're not going to look at at 1 Thessalonians 5. But I think it's so striking that after telling us how to live our lives, what we're told is the God of peace. And I don't know about you. I don't know what's characterized your life. I don't know how this year's been, but I know that peace is on pretty short supply. And this is what God wants for you. God wants you to live a life of peace. He wants you to experience joy. He doesn't want you to experience a life full of, of burdens. And he wants to work in you. He wants to, he wants to sanctify you, which again means making you more and more like him and less and less like yourself. He wants to continue that work of making you more and more like Jesus and less and less like you. And we're told he's faithful. And he can be counted on. In a year when many have found that there's, their jobs can't be counted on. Their friends can't be counted on. And their finances can't be counted on. And all of the things that, that we thought were certain in our lives, all of these things can be taken from us just like that. We think we're so strong. We think we're so capable. And a virus we cannot see brings the world to its knees like that. And if your peace, and if your security is found in this world, 
it will be stripped in that instant. But when our peace and our security is found in our Savior, even if everything else is taken, we are still guarded with faith, with love, and the hope that we have in Jesus. God, I pray that we would be people who live lives of hope. I pray that we would worry about the things we can control. And we would all take heart That we would not allow the challenges of this year to bring us to the point of discouragement and despair. But God, we would remember that you're bigger than any challenges we face. So we pray, God, that our lives just be full of faith of love and of the hope we have in our salvation which is given to us through your son Jesus thank you for saving us thank you for loving us thank you for being a God of peace and may that peace rule and reign in our hearts today In your name we pray, amen.